welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. So in this episode, we're joined by Rachel Schwalbach and Cody Wagner. Rachel leads the corporate responsibility function at CH Robinson, which includes overseeing the company's ESG strategy and management of diversity and inclusion, community relations, and environmental sustainability. Prior to CH Robinson, Rachel worked in various capacities within the nonprofit sector, including program management, fundraising, and consulting with corporations on how to leverage corporate responsibility to engage employees and improve their consumer brands. And Cody is currently serving as the Principal Program Manager of Diversity and Inclusion, also at C.H. Robinson. Cody has more than 10 years of human resources and diversity and inclusion experience, working at the corporate office of Target, Buffalo Wild Wings, and Ameriprise Financial. Cody has been a featured panelist and speaker on the topics of building your personal brand, employee relations, best practices, and the importance of inclusion in the workplace. We are so lucky to be joined by Rachel and Cody today. We talked on so many important and really timely topics as it pertains to diversity and inclusion specifically. We talked about how both Cody and Rachel landed in the diversity and inclusion space and why they're so passionate about this topic. And we also talked a lot about C.H. Robinson, who is a 115-plus-year-old organization, and what C.H. Robinson had been doing prior to the death of Mr. Floyd and what they have been doing following this, uh, I guess, modern civil rights day movement that we're in. So I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Rachel and Cody bring just a wealth of knowledge and passion to the topic. And I think you're really going to find what C.H. Robinson has been up to regarding uh, this particular Uh, topic and um, important focus within an organization to be really inspiring and, and interesting. I also want to mention before we transition to the episode that Twin Cities SHRM has a CARES campaign that I think you're going to want to learn more about. The Twin Cities uh, SHRM CARES is about creating inclusive workplaces, which is why Twin Cities SHRM is going to be kicking off a three-part web series, which we're calling Diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace. If you're interested in attending the event, 100% of the profits are going to go to local nonprofit Northside Achievement Zone. So if you want to learn more about this, how you can participate, I would recommend that you visit our website, which is tcsherm.org, and then you can go to forward slash events. So once again, that is tcsherm.org forward slash events. Hope you enjoy the episode. Rachel and Cody, this is such a pleasure having you today. And obviously, probably even a little bit more exciting for me because I have the pleasure of working with the two of you. So I'm always a little biased when I get to have my uh, C.H. Robinson peers be represented on the What the HR podcast. So thanks to both of you for being here today and for your interest and talking to Mike and I a little bit more about this really, you know, 
passionate and important topic. And before we get started with our interview questions today, I would love for the two of you to introduce yourself to our listeners. And perhaps, Cody, we could start with you. Thank you, Jesse. Super excited to be here today talking with you. Um, so my name is Cody Wagner. I am currently the Principal Diversity and Inclusion Program Manager at CH Robinson. I've been with the company now seven months, we've discovered, so have been really excited to join the company during this odd year that we're experiencing. Um, just a little quick background about myself. Uh, I am born and raised here in Minnesota. I'm one of eight siblings. I have 20 nieces and nephews. Uh, I'm a graduate of Augsburg University with a mass communication degree with a minor in women's studies. Uh, my professional background includes a variety of different industries, real estate, uh, finance, restaurant, retail, uh, and now I find myself in this world of third-party logistics and supply chain, which is super exciting. Um, in my free time, I am definitely a pop culture junkie, love books, love movies, love music, uh, and particularly during this pandemic and this time of isolation, I've certainly been falling back on music as a means of therapy. And I'm Rachel Schwalbach, and I am oversee the corporate responsibility function at CH Robinson. Um, I've been with the organization about seven years in a variety of different corporate responsibility roles through community relations and some of our events and sponsorships, the CH Robinson Foundation, DNI, back to uh, foundation, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about that evolution probably later. And prior to that, I was in the nonprofit sector. And I always say, then I sold my soul to go corporate. But truly, I think one of the best things about corporate responsibility is it doesn't have to really feel like you sold your soul because there's really good work being done in that space. As far as personal, I'm certainly not as cool as Cody. I'm very thankful he's on the team now because he keeps me updated on pop culture. I um, am also a, a native Minnesotan, love to be outdoors, love to be camping and climbing and running and anything I can do around the lakes. So that's kind of where I spend my free time. And yes, I'll echo Cody's, Cody's sentiment of being super excited to be here and have listened to the podcast before. So it's fun to see a little behind the scenes and see it in action and appreciate you having us. Great. Thanks to both of you. So, you know, I imagine, you know, knowing that our population of listeners is predominantly HR professionals, but we probably also have some, some business professionals that may not be within the professional area of HR who listen to our podcast episodes. And given, you know, especially now, uh, possibly more than ever, you know, this DNI space is getting a lot of attention. And I imagine that there are people that have, you know, prior to this wanted to get more into the DNI space or given, you know, the current state of affairs are really interested in moving into this space. So I'm curious if uh, perhaps you could give our listeners some suggestions if they aren't already specializing in DNI but want to spend a little bit more time in this space, ways in which they can do that within their business. Yeah, I love that question. Um, you know, one of the things that I think about, the way that I found myself working in diversity and inclusion was pretty organic. My background was predominantly just HR. Uh, however, all of the work that I was doing in HR sort of started to intersect with diversity and inclusion. So whether that was um, being part of an employee resource group or a function of what I was doing might be doing a diversity audit of training materials when I was in learning and development. And I think that I just really discovered a passion for the business side of D&I and how we can really 
intersect the culture with what we're, what's happening within the business. And so when I think about people who might be interested in diversity and inclusion, I would say get involved in as many of those employee resource groups as you can the DNI initiatives that may be happening at your organization already. And then I would also challenge people to think about what is it that you want to get out of diversity and inclusion? Because sometimes you can be really powerful when you don't have that DNI title, right? You still have a huge amount of influence as an HR professional to be able to impact diversity and inclusion and what's happening in the culture at your company without sort of having the spotlight on you by having the DNI title. So if it's really something that you're interested in potentially pursuing, there are so many opportunities to be able to get some of that DNI experience just by joining different association groups, attending webinars. You know, these days you really can't not be part of DNI. I think everyone at every organization is probably discovering this is this is pretty much a focus for all businesses right now. Cody, that's really helpful. Can you share just a little bit more about how you landed in this area? You know, was it something you had kind of raised your hand for or when you were in a business partner role? Had it been sort of an area of focus where you were able to build up your credentials on the topic? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely been a passion of mine. And I think like like any area you want to break into, you have to be vocal about wanting to get there. So it was definitely something that, you know, I was able to to study under some really fantastic DNI leaders at some of my previous organizations, um, you know, at Target, at Buffalo Wild Wings, before I moved into a full-time DNI role. And I think that to your point, that's exactly how you have to approach that is you have to really make it known that that's the space you want to get into, but then you have to sort of do the work to build up your credentials. So as I mentioned before, I sort of moved from being a leader on an employee resource group to doing diversity audits, to editing our training, to ensure that if we had diversity messaging that we could infuse in our training, that that was happening, um, joining professional organizations, attending um, networking events, meeting with as many people in the DNI space as I could, because as I as I alluded to earlier, DNI looks different at different organizations, and the work of doing diversity and inclusion could look slightly different. So you really want to arm yourself by talking to as many people as possible in that space. I liken it sort of to when I started in HR and somebody would say, well, why do you want to be in HR? And the typical answer, well, I like people, right? And I had a fantastic leader, Tia Whitlock at Target, who said, that's not a good enough answer. <laughs> Dig deeper, right? And so when I was thinking about why I wanted to go into diversity and inclusion, it's more than just because I like diversity or because, you know, I think it's important. I think it's, I think it's a value, a personal value of mine that led me to continue going down this path until finally I found a way to sort of break in and make it my full-time job. I love that. Rachel, is there anything that you would add just within that realm, kind of how you navigated your way into the space as well? I I came into the space organically as well. And it, it was within the time that I spent at Robinson, where at the time Robinson had been doing diversity for a while, but it was kind of a, a part of a few different people's uh, roles. And we got to the point where we realized that's not enough anymore because Diversity work is always incredibly important. It just wasn't, if it was five or 10% of someone's role, it couldn't quite, it didn't quite get the attention that it needed. And so I, at the time, happened to be in the community space and we were doing a lot of our diversity work kind of out, it was internal, but I was focusing on that kind of what are we doing outside of our four walls. And so 
to Cody's point, I started to get a passion that way and, and got an opportunity through kind of coming at it from the external lens. So yeah, again, kind of just the timing was right and, and that passion was there. The thing that I'll just echo, Cody made this point, but diversity teams tend to be smaller and there tends to be a lot of work that needs to be done by a lot of different COEs within HR or even outside of the HR team. So I would just say whether it's getting the experience to get you to a formal DNI role or not, that it raise your hand to be the one that's being a true champion because your DNI people will love you and they will continue to give you more. It's a way to really make a big impact. And if it does lead, you know, if that's the experience you're looking for, it's a good way to get into that, to that more formal title or role. Yeah, great suggestions for both of you. So thank you for offering that up. I'm curious for those people that are like, this is so outside of my realm of knowledge. I wouldn't even know where to start. We don't really have a really, you know, a large DNI presence within our organization. Are there um, groups on LinkedIn? Are there resources through SHRM? You know, are there other ways that these folks can get connected if they don't perhaps have a strong connection within their organization? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think one of the one of the most powerful tools we have is is, is LinkedIn and our networks. Um, you know, Rachel and I sort of found each other through networking. We had a mutual connection that connected us, and we started having conversations. And the DNI world, particularly in the Twin Cities, is a fairly small community. So there's lots of DNI happening at different organizations, but it truly is a pretty tight knit community because, to Rachel's point. Most organizations have a smaller, you know, I mean, we're talking like one to two people team. And so it's really important that we network, that we share best practices, that we stay connected because this work can't happen in a bubble and it shouldn't. And so I would say the best tool that people can have is to really utilize that their LinkedIn talk to other people at other organizations. I know anytime somebody reaches out and says, I would love to talk to somebody about diversity and inclusion, are you interested? I am immediately, yes. I love talking to people about this topic. And I think this is definitely an industry that perhaps more than others really needs that two-way dialogue. And so I think just raise your hand and make it known that you wanna to talk to somebody in this area. And I would, I would pretty much guarantee that you're gonna get some sort of a response. Hey, Cody, so you mentioned a lot of companies have a smaller team. I'm guessing a lot of them don't have a specific team as well. And some of the smaller companies, maybe that falls just within the duties of the general HR department. So from your perspective and Rachel and yours, is this something that companies today need to dedicate specific resources to do this right? Or is it something that, you know, can be in a mixed bag of, a, of, of an HR executive? You know, I think that it really depends on what the company wants to do. If the company wants to really make a mark in, in the field of diversity and inclusion, then there has to be dedicated resources behind it. I think if it is 25% of one person's job, it's not going to get the attention that it may need in order to move that needle. So it's really sort of a putting the question back on the organization to say, if you want to make space and make movement in this area, then you've got to have dedicated resources behind it. Whether that's one person who, you know, like a lot of models gets to partner with different business units in different areas in order to make these initiatives happen, or whether you right size it to say, you know, we, we are limited in our resources. We're really dedicated to this. Then we're going to really have to determine 
what are those initiatives that we want to prioritize because we can't boil the ocean. There's so much work to be done in the DNI space and it's so easy to say, yes, I want to do this. Yes, I want to do this because it's all good intentioned work. So you really have to look at yourself as an organization and determine what is it that we want to do. And if it truly is, we want to really move the needle. We want to lay a stake in the ground and, and make DNI known at our organization then yeah, I think it's pretty important that you have a dedicated resource or resources behind that intention. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I just, I'll, I had said this in my intro, but that was exactly where Robinson was at, was that we were trying to make it more of a mixed bag and we really drew a line in the sand and said, this isn't enough anymore. And it wasn't until we started to put the resources behind it that we got the traction that we needed and got the focus. And I think that's a, if going back to Cody's point of, you know, if that is what the company wants to do or an organization makes a decision about, I think one of the biggest mistakes they make is setting these big goals and talking a game about really wanting to make change and not putting the resources behind it, whether that's the number of people um, or the level of decision-making. So I think it kind of goes both ways on that of what's the authority that the team has around it as well. So Rachel, I couldn't have paid you to tee up this next question for me any better. So as you were kind of talking about the evolution of C.H. Robinson and where we were at, you know, kind of from a legacy perspective to where we are at now, I would love for you guys um, to just to talk about, you know, what what was C.H. Robinson doing? What were some of the initiatives that were being prioritized, you know, prior to the death of, of George Floyd and the civil unrest that we've been under? And then, you know, what kind of progress um, has, C- has C.H. Robinson made with those initiatives, even following kind of our current state of affairs? Yeah, sure. I can, I'll kind of start with the history and Cody can pick it up when he stepped in. Um, so, like I said, I think for years, Robinson was was doing things like having, you know, women's development programs or, you know, whether that was, you know, as, as basic as some compliance work around affirmative action, et cetera. Um, and, and when we really formalized that DNI work is when we started to really lay foundation. And that included um, laying the business case out for the people at the company. I think it was as, as we were at as basic as that of really why does this matter? Um, doing a lot of measurement and identifying areas where we knew we needed to focus. And that laid the groundwork for our our strategy. And so the first few years of diversity was us really kind of building that up and getting to the place of here where where, um, what Cody said before, we know we can't boil the ocean. What do we want to do to really focus and make some impact right now? So that was the first few years. Um, Some of the initiatives that that looked like was getting all of our senior leaders going through in-person unconscious bias training, Um, integrating that into our learning and our onboarding and making sure it was a part of what um, was touching all of our training programs. Um, So we we started to kind of lay the groundwork. And then when Cody came on, we really got to start, you know, thinking even more as we had more resources. So I'll let him talk about what he's been doing since since he started then, of course, um, after, after Mr. Floyd's death, kind of how we've accelerated some of that work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was so honored to join Robinson when I did, because to Rachel's earlier point, there there has been some work that has been done in this space. But when Rachel and I first started talking about the opportunity to join, it was truly that they were at this really amazing space where it was almost like we'd started to paint the canvas, but we were still able to sort of tell that story. And so when I joined Robinson, one of the things that I was really, really excited about was particularly where DNI sat within the organization. And I think that's an important call out to make 
I think for a lot of organizations, DNI falls under HR. And one of the downsides that can happen with that placement is truly that people see DNI as HR work only, or that it's like a compliance thing that you check off the box. Robinson made the strategic decision to place DNI under the corporate responsibility umbrella, which I think really lends itself to say this is work for everyone at the organization. So I was thrilled to, to come on board sort of with that history and groundwork that had been laid. And some of the initial things that we started working on were, you know, what are these initiatives that we want to accomplish? What is kind of our one, three, five-year plan of initiatives that we wanted to get off the ground? You know, one of the first things that we worked on were employee, re or employee resource groups. Getting that program stood up, Robinson had some sort of organic grassroots groups that had popped up over the years. And so utilizing that good work that had already been laid, we developed an employee resource group program. We were ready to launch it in March officially, and then COVID hit, right? And so it was sort of like, oh, pause, stop. We need to re reorganize and figure out what would this look like now that everybody's working from home. You know, and then we got to May and, and the, the, the death of George Floyd really took a spotlight on DNI at every organization. And really, I liken it to saying that overnight, anyone working in DNI was essentially promoted to a chief diversity officer, right? They're just the laser focus on diversity and inclusion was so intense which was wonderful. But what that really did for us is some of those one, three, five-year plans that we had, it sort of lent itself to saying, let's lean into this momentum. This, there's a sense of urgency right now. What do we need to do to shorten the timeline on some of those initiatives? So while, you know, in, inclusivity training is an e-learning that we're rolling out to the company employee resource groups. Um, we're working with talent acquisition to talk about recruiting best practices. We're working with L&D and organization effectiveness to talk about different programs that we have to sort of mentor and sponsor, you know, black and indigenous people of color and women at the organization. And I think that shortened timeline really helped us get really clear about which of those initiatives we wanted to focus on. Um, but one of the things that I would love to, to sort of highlight was the things that happened as an immediate response after the death of George Floyd. Uh, one of the things that our CEO did was we identified that we wanted to hold listening sessions because we were acutely aware that the way that people, employees were experiencing what's happening outside the four walls of now their office slash home shows up for them at work and we really needed to provide an opportunity to say we want to hear from you we want to hear from our employee base and as as somebody newer to the company i was so so impressed and happy that we were doing that because i think it goes so long with your employees to really provide that space for them to have that opportunity to talk to their ceo and that was something that we as a as a dni corporate responsibility team worked with our CEO to accomplish and make happen. But one of the things that he did on his own, our CEO, was during some of the height of sort of the protests and the unrest that was happening, our CEO made the decision to let our employees know that if they were in an area where they felt that their safety was a concern, that they could check into a hotel and that the company would reimburse them for that. You know, it was, it was totally a, you know, this is an option out there if you need it. And to me, that spoke so highly to 
where this company is when it comes to prioritizing diversity and inclusion, and that this is truly something that this CEO is really standing behind and invested in. Wow, that's that's really cool. I um, did so. I got two questions um, as you guys were talking. One to build off of what Rachel said, and then and then Cody, what you had said. To step back a little bit, Rachel, you mentioned that in the beginning, as you looked at where you guys were at, you had to build the value of the DNI program. I'm curious for there's probably a lot of people out there that want to build that value, maybe don't know how. How did you build the value? What did that look like when you went to present it? That's a good question. And, you know, I, one thing that I've been talking a lot about as I speak about DNI right now is that it sits in kind of an interesting spot, at least at Robinson. I think many companies would feel that way. That on the one hand, we, we feel like it's really integrated into our values and who we want to be as a company. So when I talk about building, building the value, it's just kind of like core to who we want to be. This is part of our DNA that we see this as a moral imperative. And I think more and more that's becoming something that companies are grappling with is we have a role to play in correcting some systemic racism and, you know, really big, tough issues. And so there's that piece. And then at the exact same time, this is just truly a business imperative for us. Um, and, and companies, you know, I, I think that five years, 10 years ago, that was maybe less well-known. It feels like today that's kind of just a, a goes without saying. People understand the importance of diversity and inclusion when it comes to competing for talent, um, when it comes to being able to respond to our customers or for C.H. Robinson, our carrier base, our suppliers. Innovation is a huge one. How do we get people, if, if so many companies are going through digital transformation right now or some kind of transformation, get people at the table that are going to speak their minds and going to have different ideas and have different backgrounds. So I think, you know, for Robinson at the time, it was very much pulling out some of those, those themes and looking at how those apply to us. What are the new markets we're trying to get into? Um, what are the places that we feel like, what are some of our pain points and what is, how does DNI play into that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Makes sense. And then Cody, you had mentioned that C.H. Robinson put it under the corporate responsibility umbrella. And I loved what you said about when it's under HR, it becomes a check the box, perhaps. And for a company, you know, you want this to not be just a department. You want it to resonate with the culture. How do you do that specifically? Like, how do you execute on your vision so that DNI isn't just one piece of what you guys do? It's what we do as a company. Or like, it, do you know what I'm asking there? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you're asking a little bit about, you know, how do we sustain this and infuse it company-wide? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that Rachel and I talk about a lot when we're talking about how are we going to keep these initiatives going and how are we going to ensure that this isn't a one, one event, a time and a place that these are sustainable. And I think, you know, a lot of what we talk about is ensuring that we're taking a really holistic approach, that we are bringing in cross-functional teams 
to do this work, that we're taking into account the importance of change management, you know, uh, knowing that people are at different places on their journey when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Not only is each company at a different place on their journey, but each employee under that company's umbrella is at a different place. And so, you know, recognizing that some people are going to feel like this is scary and we're moving too fast, while other people are going to go, my gosh, we're way behind the times. We need to move faster. And so how do you sort of balance that, that spectrum that you have within the, the organization? And then I think it's about, you know, creating accountability and making sure that that accountability lies in multiple areas, not just in D&I, but if talent acquisition is unrolling a new initiative and we're asking managers to be invested and, and enact some of these initiatives, where's the accountability for the managers to make sure that these initiatives are successful? Um, and then I think, you know, lastly, infusing this work into processes that already exist is, is truly the way to ensure that you're not creating new work for people, but you're enhancing work that is already happening so that you can really gain that buy-in and just make sure that DNI that lens is being put on all work that's happening at the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And does that differ how you roll it out to different generations within the workforce is is that considered when, whether it's doing training or setting up groups? Yeah. I mean, generational differences are, are huge right now at organizations. And so when you're partnering with your L and D team or your training team, it's really important to ensure that the mechanisms with which this, these initiatives, these messagings are being rolled out that we're taking into consideration different learning styles, uh, you know, different approaches. Is, is it an email? Is it, a, is it a Yammer message? Is it a video? And so for sure, you want to ensure that you're taking a multi-pronged approach so that, you know, you're not taking a one-size-fits-all. Great. I'm going to kind of switch gears on us a little bit and kind of go back more to that is the topic that I had brought up earlier where, you know, we predominantly have HR professionals that listen to this podcast, but maybe we have somebody that sits within the business that finds Mike and I's topics to be really inspirational. Hopefully that's the case. Oh, um, <laughs> so if we have somebody, you know, the, a, a business leader that sits, um, you know, that sits obviously within the business that feels as though maybe this initiative hasn't been prioritized within their organization or they, maybe it's a really small company and they don't have a dedicated resource to DNI. How would you guys recommend, you know, people leaders show up for their teams right now, especially if they have team members of, of color or of diverse backgrounds and, and experiences? Yeah, that's a very important question. One thing I'll just kind of start with thinking about C.H. Robinson's approach to this as we've um, gone through the listening sessions and as we've been kind of re-examining the work that we're doing. One of the things that we've heard over and over again, and I, I know this isn't new, companies find this from best practice, but that people leader really makes a huge difference in an employee's experience and especially around this DNI work. So as we're thinking about our stakeholders and our audiences, that's one that we know we need to prioritize um, because it, it just can make such a big difference on having a really fantastic experience or a really bad experience. Um, so as far as uh, how le people leaders can, can show up, I think the first is remembering that not everyone is having the same experience. So this may seem like a regular day to you or this, you know, 
going back to immediately following George Floyd's death, you know, maybe something you read about, felt sad about, but got into the office and kind of felt like a regular day. That's not the case for everyone. So understanding, you know, people don't need to come in and and be on all the time. Um, Being able to smile and make small talk, that's a lot harder for some some people than others. Um, And being really conscious of that. The second is just saying something. I would say after, you know, probably in the week following um, Mr. Floyd's death, one of the things we knew, you know, we had started with having our CEO send out a big email and it was clear really early on that, that things just felt a little different this time, at least, you know, for me in my white lens, um, I'm sure it felt very different for others. Um, But there was this kind of shift and awakening. And so um, we knew early on we needed to start kind of addressing this a little differently than we had in other in other situations. And so one of the things we did was create um, a guide for our managers to support them in having those conversations because race is an uncomfortable topic. DNI is really uncomfortable. There's fear around it. There's the fear of saying something wrong. It's not a conversation that a lot of people have. Most people's networks are pretty homogeneous. So you're just not having those conversations. And so we provided um, some resources to to our people managers on how to say something. And at the end of the day, um, our recommendation was saying something is better than not saying anything at all. Um, Be ready for the fact that you might make a mistake and that's okay. Uh, Be willing to own that mistake because oftentimes there's this conversation around, oh, but my intentions were good. And while it's great to go in with good intent, your actions and the, the results of that are what matters. And so be willing to try something, have an authentic conversation. And if you if you screw it up, be really willing to just kind of admit that and, and take a step back. Um, the one thing I would say we found when we did that resource guide was I think we even probably could have gone further. We had a lot of guidelines, some suggestions. I think there's a lot of people that'll take that this is so new that the more guidance we could have given, the better. And we probably, you know, from a learning that we had was give even more, um, give even more guidance on that and be more directive on it. The last, or maybe three other things I would say really quickly. One is go beyond just asking, how are you doing? Um, don't, but don't push too far. Notice if, you're, if your people want to talk or not, give them the space. I'm here if you want to. Not everyone is going to respond in the same way, so make sure that you're you're being flexible, um, and then being aware of the mental health resources your company may have, and make sure that they're aware of that. Whether that's COVID or or the social uprising, there's a lot going on right now, and many companies have um, those tools. And making sure that people know where to find those is a really important piece as well. Yeah, I love that. I love just addressing the elephant in the room and saying, you know, hey. It's important to me to say something as your leader or as a leader of this group, but you know, I'm going to be vulnerable here and and indicate that this isn't a topic that I have a lot of experience on or this is the first time as a leader, you know, I've had to talk on this topic and I think just like you said, Rachel, being really vulnerable about it, I think also creates the space where the person or the people that they're speaking to can feel comfortable being being vulnerable in return. Yeah, and one thing I should have said on that too is it's great to go in exactly as you just talked about. It's also great to educate yourself um, because especially if you are a, a non-Black manager, if you're a white manager, or if you're not in, you know, being directly impacted, it's not your Black employee's job to educate you. So make sure you're doing the reading ahead of time. You're doing whatever you can to come to the, to the conversation ready 
um, and prepared to have that with, to your point of, of, with also knowing that you're not going to know everything, but finding that right balance. Yeah, I think that's a great addition. I, I was thinking about like, I don't want, I wouldn't want a leader to feel paralyzed by like, hey, I haven't had a chance to educate myself yet. So I'm going to wait and not have an important conversation. So maybe addressing it to say, hey, this is vulnerable. I have some research that I need to do here. And then, you know, coming back with, Mm -hmm. you know, to the point that you made. Great point. Yeah. So, you know, also kind of along the same topic, you know, not necessarily for leaders, but just employees, you know, how can employees show up as being allies for their black colleagues right now and in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think building upon what Rachel said, I always challenge when people want to show up as allies, I think it's really important that you sort of sit and think about what your intention is and and why you're wanting to enter into this space of having a conversation with somebody. Because I think the the job of an ally is so twofold, right? Sometimes it's just to be quiet and listen. Um, And I think as we're talking about, you can't do that without being vulnerable, right? You can't make space for somebody to be vulnerable to you if you're not going to reciprocate in that same way. And so I think a lot about, you know, the work that Brene Brown has done when we're talking about empathy and how, um, you know, she says empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. So if you're going to sit with somebody and be empathetic, you've got to You've got to really model that for them. Uh, And the workplace is really not always a place where we value being vulnerable, and we really need to, particularly in in these times. Um, I think it's also really important to know that we we will not know everyone's exact experience, you know, whose race, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation may differ from us. But when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, we can draw on our own experiences. So while I may not know what it's like to live my life as a a Black Indigenous person of color, if somebody says to me, I'm scared, I'm sad, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I can draw on my own experiences with those emotions by tapping into my own vulnerability. And then it's less about I don't understand your experience and it's more about being there for somebody in an emotional moment on that genuine level. Um, I think one of the things that I always think about is, you know, no identity is monolithic. So you really want to make sure that you're talking to a wide variety of people and that you're not taking one person's perspective as sort of the be all end all truth. Right. You know, I am a gay man. I don't speak for all gay, gay men. I don't speak for the LGBTQ plus community. I can only speak for my own experience. And so I think when you're entering into conversations like this, when you're wanting to be an ally for somebody, understanding that you, know, you may talk to one person this day and get an experience from them. If you talk to somebody else the next day, they might experience it totally different. So it's really important to not reduce you know, one person's narrative to be the overall structure of the story that's being told. And then I think, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice that that I'll share about being an ally is be an ally when somebody's not in the room, right? So when you're sitting around the conference table and we're talking about work that's being, you know, assigned out or we're putting together a project team, you as an ally have the ability to go, gosh, are there any voices that are missing from this table right now? And I think, 
you know, sometimes being an ally is about what you're doing when that person isn't in the room with you. I just wanted to make one quick comment, Cody, that was great. And the only comment I was going to make is going back to, you know, not being able to speak for a full group um, and having a lot of different conversations with, with different people who have different experiences and remembering that all of those experiences are their experiences and showing up and just believing those to be true is also a hugely important piece that, you know, Cody's experience can be different than the person's next to him. And those both can exist at the same time and both be true. So, and everything else was Spot on, Cody. Great. Great yeah. One of the things I loved what you said, Cody, was to to talk to more than one person because you you try try more than once because I think that if you do do something one time, you do run the risk of making it worse. Because whether regardless of of race, you may not agree with somebody. It doesn't matter, right? And and so I think the what I heard from you is. And I see it sometimes within organizations, right? When it, it is more of an initiative, it's like you try it once, you try having that uncom- uncomfortable conversation, doesn't go all that well. And then everybody kind of leaves and you're like, well, that just didn't seem to go well and you don't do it again. Whereas push through that and over time, I imagine that those conversations become easier uh, for everybody in the room. For sure. It's definitely something that you have to practice and a skill that you have to build and a muscle that needs continuous attention. And, and it's definitely something that you're going to, you're going to screw it up. Like that's just the honest to goodness truth. You know, even somebody who works in DNI, I have to be okay with understanding that I don't know all the answers and I am going to make mistakes. But what I can do is ensure that I am building upon what I'm learning with each individual conversation that I am talking to a wide variety of people and not limiting one person's narrative or one mistake that I've made to really stop me from continuing to move forward. Right. Right. And and to be fair, it is an emotionally charged conversation that it's okay to like, I don't want to screw this up. Right. And, and so I do understand that side of it where, um, you know, you guys are saying, Hey, go fail. It's okay. And I do understand the other side of that is like, I don't want to fail at this. This seems way too important. Um, that's just the balance, right. Of, of what we're trying to do. Totally. And that's, you know, I think that goes back to what Rachel and I have been sharing that one of the ways to, to not automatically fall on your face is to equip yourself with a little bit of research ahead of time. So it is that fine balance to Jesse's point that you don't want your lack of research or uncomfortableness to prohibit you from moving forward. But one of the ways that you can enter into a conversation and make it just a little bit less awkward is equip yourself with some of that terminology. You know, I mean, go out and read what a micro message is and just equip yourself with some of the lingo so that you have some sort of frame of reference to start that dialogue with. I love that. So obviously the perspectives that we've shared today, you know, during this interview are really specific to what we're doing at CH Robinson, but I imagine that there are tons of resources and publications, you know, just uh, folks maybe specifically outside of, of CH Robinson that have inspired you, maybe places that the two of you have gone to do some additional research, especially during this time. Um, any resources, publications, people that you could direct our listeners to? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot. I think probably if people are hearing this a lot, there's so many good book lists that are out there right now. Um, 
how to be an anti-racist. So you want to talk about race um, between the world and me. We can, I don't know if you do, you know, post on your website, but I think probably people are seeing those. There's there's um, a lot of good books that are getting a lot of attention right now. I've, Cody and I have talked about this. I've done a lot of, of changing who I, not changing, but adding to who I follow on social media. The woke coach, Sina Hodges is here in the Twin Cities. I follow her and love all of the work that she does, Rachel Cargill. There's a lot of, um, I think, just kind of shifting that because then the things that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis of just scrolling my phone have helped kind of open open my eyes or or it brought in my perspective outside of just like, I'm going to sit down and learn right now. Same with like choosing novels that I'm reading, making sure that I'm, I'm getting a broader, I frankly read a lot of white lady novels. Um, and so changing even just the way I get entertainment. So yeah, I, those are some of mine. And I can send lists over Citizen by Claudia Rankin is one of my favorites from a poetry perspective. This isn't a novel, but you can't touch my hair. Phoebe Robinson, if you know her, she's hilarious. So Cody has a bunch of good ones as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, being a pop culture junkie, I I always encourage people to not let their fear of of not being familiar with the concepts prevent them from finding sort of an entree into this dialogue, right? So if you're somebody who loves science fiction, find a science fiction author who's a person of color or or a woman in order to just get a different perspective. I think a lot about you know, how I became aware of representation or the lack of representation growing up. And a lot of it came through the media that I was consuming, right? So a lot of shows featured, you know, cisgender white people. And then a show like Girlfriends comes along that features, you know, four black women and telling stories in a way that you might not see as a as the the common media that we're sort of consuming is so empowerful um, and just really helps to sort of open your mind to somebody else's perspective. I think similar to Rachel, you know, I have a Google alert that I have set up for diversity inclusion. It's part of my job, but it also allows me to become aware of different articles from different people. And I will say some of some interesting places that I have found content would probably surprise you. So I've seen some really fascinating and thoughtful articles coming out of places like Teen Vogue, right? Like you might not expect to see that dialogue from that place when you sort of open yourself up to where where is all this coming from? And there are particular, you know, media channels, right? Like Blavity, which, which is a website uh, created for and by Black millennials, right? And so you're just opening yourself up to, to different perspectives and different stories. And so I think that, you know, the, the list of resources is exhaustive. Find the one that speaks to you. Are you into documentary films? You know, go out and watch 13th, right? You know, there's a way to find your entree into this conversation based on what you're already passionate about. And even if you're not into documentary films, watch 13th. (laughs) Well, I can guarantee you that our listeners are going to physically feel the passion coming through their smartphone device or whatever, you know, device they're listening to this podcast episode on. And I imagine that they are going to want to connect with the two of you. So how can our listeners find you, uh, whether LinkedIn or through other resources? Certainly connect with me, Rachel Schwalbach. It's a long one, but (laughs) on LinkedIn, I'm not great about my LinkedIn messages. So be patient with me on that. And I mean, rachel.schwalbach at chrobinson.com. I'm super happy to just take emails as well. 
Yeah, I would say in normal times, you could probably find me sitting in a coffee shop reading a book, but now I'm pretty stuck at sitting in my living room. Um, so since you're not probably going to find me there, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, and let's talk about what's happening in DNI. Let's talk about representation in pop culture. I love sharing and meeting different people and having authentic conversations. Let's talk about your interest in DNI. What scares you about it? And please, Share with me what you've learned because the same way that Rachel and I found each other through networking, we really want to make sure that this DNI community is one that is a reciprocal community. Rachel and I are really, really happy to jump on calls and share best practices and share where we've made mistakes so that we can ensure that this goal that we're all working on is stronger for the entire community. Yes, I have plenty of mistakes to share, and I have. <laughs> I mean that very, very truly. So this is none of these are company secrets. It's all boats rise, and we're really excited to learn from others. Oh, great. Well, um, for those listeners that may not know that the What the HR podcast does have a podcast page on the TC Sherm website, definitely go visit that page because there will be a link to this podcast episode. So if you are struggling with how to spell Schwabach or how to spell Wagner, you can go uh, to the website and find Cody and Rachel's name, and then you can go um, either you know shoot them an email specifically at CH Robinson or find them on LinkedIn. And thank you so much, you guys. This was such a fun and important topic. And I just, like I mentioned earlier, the passion is oozing uh, across the computer to me and to, and to Mike. And um, we just really are, are so grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. And if you want to send over a list of all the resources you guys mentioned, we'll link it in the show notes. We'll put it everywhere we can. So much appreciated. Great. Will do. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next episode.